Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Gateworld Podcast. This is a very special show. It's our big recap show for the fifth season of Stargate Atlantis. David and I will be talking about our favorite moments and episodes from the last season. We've also got a preview of our new interview with actor Connor Trenier, who plays Michael on Stargate Atlantis. And lots of news to talk about this week, especially on Stargate Universe. There's no new Stargate for eight months, so surely you've got nothing better to do. The Gate World Podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me this week is Gate World's own David Reed. Frack you. Frack you. I've got nothing better to do. I'm going to be watching Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided that uh, we've we've been very good about being faithful to Stargate in the podcast, but now that we've entered the long, long run of no new episodes of Stargate, that we might start dropping some of our other favorite shows in here. And Battlestar just started again. I, Holy yeah. cow. I was literally watching with bated breath the entire night. Yeah, no spoilers, of course. No, absolutely not. What did you think of the first episode? The show basically runs on the phrase, it's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. You think that they can't get into a situation where they will be in any more despair, and they do, mm-hmm. you know? And on top of that, it is written so damn well. Mm-hmm. So... There you go. What about you? This is a show and this is an episode that not only kicks you when you're down, but it kicks you in the throat and stomps on your groin. Yeah, it does. But I was very impressed. And I was I was very impressed that they decided to do some of the big reveals this early. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for January 20th, 2009. The casting announcements we have all been waiting for, well, most of them most are of them. in. Yeah, the ladies have yet to be revealed, but uh, the gentleman, Brian J. Smith, who will be playing Lieutenant Matthew Scott, was broken by GateWorld this past week. And Eli Wallace will be played by David Blue. Brian J. Smith does not have an extensive television background, so he's going to be good eats for the fairer sex in the Stargate viewing audience. He has done Hate Crime and Red Hook in 2009's The War Boys. And David Blue has been featured in Moonlight, Scrubs, and also Veronica Mars. David Blue's big claim to fame right now is that he's a recurring character on Ugly Betty on ABC, Uh, which I've never seen, but I did watch Moonlight last year when it was on, and and his character is kind of, I guess, the same in this. He's he's the slacker, genius, uh, computer whiz guy. He's just not a vampire anymore. Oh, okay. (laughs) This looks good. These, These two guys, I think, both look good. I'm... I'm uh, excited that David Blue has a little bit of recognizability. He's been on major network shows. And then Matthew Scott uh, is going to be played. This this character's name was formerly Jared Nash. Now it's been changed to Matthew Scott, uh, played by Brian J. Smith. And I'm actually really interested in the fact that Brian doesn't seem to have much TV on his resume yet. He's done stage work, and he's done some uh, independent films. That says to me that the producers, you know, probably found this guy based on his his talent. I think he's I'm, I'm hoping that he's been hired because he is just a darn good actor, and I can't wait to see them on screen. We also have more casting news. We have two more. There were four names revealed this week. Uh, we also have formerly Ron Psycho Stasiak. Uh, the character name is now Ronald Greer. He's a senior sergeant 
in the Marines will be played by Jameel Walker-Smith. Jameel is from New York City, and he's best known for his voice work as uh, the voice of Gerald on the Nickelodeon animated series Hey Arnold. He's also done some guest spots on some big network shows like Bones, Cold Case, NYPD Blue, and Supernatural. Our fourth name is Justin Lewis. Justin Lewis is going to be playing Colonel Everett Young. He's a native of Portugal, but he uh, moved with his family to Ontario and grew up Canadian. So Justin Lewis is uh, is older than, than our younger cast members here. He'll be playing the Colonel. Uh, he's 41 right now, and he's appeared on a huge range of TV series and films like uh, Durham County is a series in Canada. He's been on 24. He's been on CSI Miami. He was on a show called 1-800-MISSING. And then he's also done uh, Outer Limits. He appeared with Nathan mm. Fillion from Firefly in an episode of, of Outer Limits called Starcrossed. Uh, he did Mutant X. He did Highlander. Uh, and he did, in heavy makeup, he did an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Yes, the Voyager episode is the only thing I've seen him in. Yeah, he, on uh, Naomi Wildman's holodeck program, he was Trevis. Once Upon a Time, I believe. Which I think is hilarious, yeah. I'm surprised at how few Canadian-specific actors there are in this group. You know, I thought I thought they were required to cast a majority of, their, uh, of the actors as Canadian. I'm not sure. That's a very good question. Um, it looks like we've got... So far, we've got one Scott in Robert Carlyle, whose character name mm-hmm. has also been changed. He's now Dr. Nicholas Rush instead of Dr. David Rush. Sorry, David. It's all right. But we've got a Canadian and, and I guess, three Americans so far. So we'll see who they cast in the final two roles. The ladies are still uh, waiting in the wings to be announced. That's uh, Tamara John and Chloe Walker. Subject to change, of course. Subject to change. And, and I was actually kind of surprised how many of these guys have had their names changed. Yeah, legal is very tricky. Five out of seven so far have had their names changed. Well, that's the big news for Stargate Universe. Lots and lots of casting this last week. And uh, we expect probably before the end of January to hear about those last two roles. Uh, They'll start filming in early February. The other big news on Stargate Universe is that the premiere date has been pushed back. Yes, the show is going to be premiering this fall rather than July, putting it right in conflict with the big guns, the network uh, shows, ABC, NBC, CBS, which could either make or break the series. What do you think about this decision? Stargate has always premiered in the summertime, I think, with the exception of the fourth season of Atlantis did a fall premiere. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I'm a little bit more cautious than optimistic. I mean, even though the summer has brought traditionally lower ratings it has also kind of been stargate's time to shine if universe doesn't do very well in the fall i really don't know how sci-fi will uh, will react to it either by cutting it up and going automatically to dvd movies for this show too or um oh i hope not yeah or giving them the benefit of the doubt and letting them continue to work yeah as much as i would love to see universe as soon as possible i think that the move to the fall speaks highly of the network's confidence in the show because basic cable networks like Sci-Fi Channel have traditionally done this counter-programming thing where you you put your big shows when the big networks are not airing new episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, That sort of went away a few years ago when, you know, reality TV hit this big boom and now networks are airing new stuff in the summertime and year-round. And then a few years ago, Sci-Fi decided to start airing new stuff year-round, which is why, you know, we don't have three new shows on Friday nights anymore. We've got one or two. Taking Stargate and putting it up against bigger competition in the fall is is definitely risky. 
but I hope it works out because you know overall television viewing is certainly higher in the fall um, and and cable channels like sci-fi are being more competitive with the networks than they were you know back when SG-1 premiered on sci-fi and there's one more piece of uh, Stargate Universe news to talk about this week uh, science fiction author John Scalzi John I hope I'm pronouncing your name right has been uh, tapped as a consultant for Stargate Universe. He won't be writing any scripts necessarily right away, hopefully a little bit down the road, but his job will be to basically look at look at all the scripts, uh, give his advice, give some, some creative assistance to help shape the direction of the series. I've never actually heard of John before. What are his specialties? Why do you think he was picked? What do you think about this? He's uh, apparently a real up-and-coming science fiction print author. He's published novels uh, including Old Man's War, The Last Colony, uh, The Android's Dream. He won a Hugo Award last year, uh, not for his novels, but actually for his blog, which is titled Whatever. His blog has actually been going for a decade now. His blog is older than GateWorld is. Yeah, just just by a year. And that's at whatever.scalzi.com. I'm really excited about this news, not because I was familiar with John before I heard about this, but because it shows that the producers and the writers for Stargate Universe are looking outside of their traditional box. They're looking for fresh input. Uh, Instead of just keeping with a team that's been very busy churning out Stargate stories for the last five plus years. I couldn't agree more. As long as they don't cut him out of decision making and decide, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I really think this this bodes very well for this series. I'm excited. Yeah. Gateworld features. Gateworld's interview with Andy Makita is now up on the website. He talks about being assigned the first Stargate Atlantis movie, fan favorite episodes like Heroes, and uh, does give a great deal of kudos to his fellow directors. I didn't realize that Andy, I know you told me last week, but Andy's been with the show all the way back since Children of the Gods. Yes, first assistant director to Mario as a party. Yeah. But before Foothold in season three, he was tasked with you know second unit directing and everything like that, and they uh, finally gave him his first full episode in season three, Foothold. Then he came back in season four for The Curse, 2010. Uh, those episodes are all discussed in this interview. It's a, it's a good piece. It's a two-parter, uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. And later this week, our new interview is with actor Connor Trenier, who plays the hybrid Michael on Stargate Atlantis. And, of course, we loved him from... Star Trek Enterprise as Trip Tucker. What did what did you and Connor talk about? You know, I can't remember. It was so long ago. No, I'm kidding. Uh, last month, uh, Tammy and I also uh, went to L.A. not to just talk with Ben, but also uh, a couple of others, inclu- including Connor. We talked mainly, as you can imagine, about the prodigal. And he was, to my surprise and delight, very vocal about the things that he liked and didn't like about that script, the things that made sense to him, the things that didn't. One mm-hmm. of the big issues that you and he both raised separately was how surprised he was that that Michael basically cornered himself by going back to Atlantis and and Connor asks he didn't have a copy of himself somewhere he didn't have an escape plan so so Connor is is very adamant in his belief that there is another copy of Michael floating around out there somewhere let's get over the fact that he's upset at you guys let's, yeah. let's get over the fact that you you've done this to me I, mean, I don't know how many times I said you guys have done yeah. this to me yeah, and, even in the last episode, right. you did this. Right, and and so it would have been nice to, you know, if they were going to have that be a, a major part of the storyline. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a good story. I don't think it mm-hmm. was so much a major story. It was just one that, that, that people responded to, mm-hmm. I think. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, by the end of it, I was kind of like, well, we need to do something here. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. kill him or or do something, or shake it up. Make him sh change somehow. Or yeah. make him, or make him more effective. You know, make him make make the the, the rest of that universe more effective by what he's doing, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just being a sort of occasional annoying thorn. <laughs> oh, Michael's back. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> getting there. <laughs> well, we're not really sure. It definitely spoke to to Michael's desperation. Not only mm -hmm. that he undertook that high high risk op himself, but that he mm. didn't get out when he had the opportunity to. I'll be talking a little bit more about that episode in our main discussion. Check out GateWorld.net for the complete interview with Connor Trenier later this week. The main discussion. We started the GateWorld podcast all the way back in July with the very first episode of Season 5 of Stargate Atlantis, and now it's over. It's January, and it's time to talk about Season 5. Here's our big recap David, what did you think overall of the fifth season of Atlantis? Of course, when we went into it, we didn't realize that it was the end of the show, but mm -hmm. uh, overall it's the final chapter of Atlantis, at least on television. Uh, what did you think of the season overall and how it plugs in with the four that came before it? Like we always say, the show needs to take risks, but it also needs to service the ideals that uh, Stargate was founded on. And I think that season five of Atlantis will be remembered as doing both very, very well. You have outstanding episodes like Vegas, which take risks. You have great team episodes like The Shrine. You know, I think Atlantis really did have it all. It had a little bit of Wraith, had a little bit of Replicators. Uh, it had some great guest appearances by Michael Shanks. And uh, there's just a little bit of everything in this season. I agree. It seemed like they pulled out the stops a little bit more than they have in the past. And we've had some, some obviously very risky things in the past, like major character deaths, writing, writing main cast members out of the show. But mm -hmm. those aside, I mean, we're talking about some of the small decisions that were made story-wise, like uh, the way that Taylor kills Michael at the end of The Prodigal. And by the way, we should say there's spoilers in this discussion for all 20 episodes of Season 5. Yes, we leave no stone covered. You know, what we did with Weir... And, and Weir's fate, both her coming back and then her, her fate. These are some, some more bold things that I think uh, you don't see quite as many of in the earlier seasons. And a lot of times, you know, in, their, in earlier episodes of Atlantis, I, I remember saying to myself, you know, I'm glad they tried it, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. And in this season, you know, they, they tried a lot, and most of it really did. So quickly, before we get into a little bit more deep discussion, what would you say is your favorite episode and, and maybe your least favorite episode this year? My favorite episode, and shame to say I didn't get really the chance to enjoy it properly the first time I watched it, was First Contact. Uh, the return of Daniel Jackson was something I was very excited about. Daniel has always been my favorite character on SG-1, uh, and knew going in that uh, the new enemy race was going to be an offshoot of the Asgard. Mm -hmm. I knew that they were going to come in with guns a-blazing and that they were basically going to um, kick our asses. And I was really looking forward to that. I was looking forward to learning more about Janice. I was looking forward to the discoveries that that episode was going to make. And it really was just exactly everything that I wanted it to be. Unfortunately, the day that it came out, I was packing 
to get ready to go to Florida for vacation. So I downloaded it to my computer and spent, I think, three hours watching it in chunks. And I've mm. never really done that for an episode of Stargate. And boy, will I never do it again because it was not very fulfilling. And that was my fault. Yeah, and tough. I went back and I watched the whole thing again. And man, it was good. And I was really disappointed at myself for not taking the proper time to sit down and watch the whole thing because it was completely rewarding. Really fun. It had everything that I wanted. Yeah, now here's why I love this mid-season two-parter, First Contact and Lost Tribe. Not just that everybody loves the Asgard. They've always been one of the favorite races in the Stargate universe. We thought they were extinct, and now we brought them back in some form. That's cool, but you know what? Writers, if you really want to get me, go back into the past of Stargate mythology and grab something and use it to propel a new story forward. What I loved about First Contact was Janus was the discovery of Janice's hidden lab that's been right here under McKay's nose the whole time. And mm-hmm. then, of course, using using a great character like Daniel Jackson in a crossover appearance and having him work with Rodney to discover it, that was great stuff. Yeah, the the irony in that McKay's arrogance was the biggest thing that prevented him from seeing one of the biggest gold mines in Atlantis, how, how blown away McKay was, that this was, like you said, right under his nose the entire time, and it took someone like Daniel to unearth it was completely appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then your least favorite. My least favorite episode this year was Broken Ties. I have not ever been a huge fan of Ronan, and when uh, Reunion aired last year, I was not exactly um, a big fan of that one. So this Broken Ties being basically the second part of that story, I was not extremely keen on watching. I kind of felt ahead of time that, um, and, and and not exactly for the for the best reasons. I, I prejudged the episode, thinking that I wasn't going to particularly enjoy it. And I was over at my boss's house during Comic-Con when it aired. And her DVR malfunctioned at about 15 minutes into the episode that we were watching it. And the rest of the episode wasn't recorded. And I basically said out loud, that's perfectly fine. I wasn't interested in the story anyway. Mm, it's that's too bad. One of the very few ep- yeah, it's one of the very few episodes of, of Atlantis that I started one day and finished several days later. I could have cared less. <laughs> yeah, Broken Ties was not one of my favorites. I'm, I'm glad that they brought Tyre back after leaving him, him out there running around in Reunion. Um, I like what Jason contributes to this episode and, and the fact that he gets to go dark side ever so briefly and become a, a servant of the Wraith and then go through withdrawal. There, there are definitely some cool elements in this episode. So I've given my favorite and least favorite. What about you? What are What is your favorite episode and your least favorite episode from this, this year? This year, it's really not even close. I don't even have to think about it. The Shrine is probably my favorite episode of the entire hundred of the series. Uh, if it's not the Shrine, then it's in the top two, maybe with Be All My Sins Remembered. But uh, this is such a, a quiet, emotional little team character drama that it's it's fantastic. And, and I probably said it when we podcasted The Shrine, uh, you can't do every single episode like this because it's, it's Nor should you. an action-adventure show. But a dramatic episode like this is, is great. And it, it makes me have high hopes for what guys like Brad Wright and Rob Cooper can write for Stargate Universe when they're talking mm-hmm. about making Stargate Universe more of a character-driven show. Um, David Hewlett knocks this one out of the park, and seeing his sister there, um, Kate Hewlett comes back to play Rodney's sister, Jeannie. The pier scene with Shepard, the, the end scene with the operation, the shrine is just a really fantastic episode, and I still tear up when I watch it. 
There were some great elements of that show that were so surprising to me. Frankly, I wasn't sure if Kate Hewlett could act that well, and she pulled it off. Brad Wright, the writer, pulled out all the stops. I completely agree with you there. The only disappointing thing for me was I didn't get to share in the main discussion with you on this episode. Not David Hewlett, but with you, because I was such a big fan of it. Yeah, well, now's your chance if you have anything else to say about this episode. I I can only gush about it. I went back... Uh, and and watched just one scene from it today when I was thinking about doing this podcast. I watched the scene uh, where Jeannie first arrives and then she goes in and talks with McKay, and he's already mm. deteriorated. Uh, that that first scene where she goes in and sits down and talks to him, and that that acts her butt off moment between the two of them. They're both just acting their butts off, and it's so emotional. I agree. And your least favorite. My least favorite of the season is, again, um, I didn't really have to think very hard about this one. It's got to be Brainstorm. Um, ah. Also a Rodney episode, also a little a little Rodney Keller romance. And it's not the Rodney Keller romance that I mind at all. I, I didn't mind it. I think that the, the main issue I had was that it was so different. And again, different is good and risk-taking is good. I, Vegas was one of my favorite episodes probably a close second to the shrine um but but brainstorm didn't feel like a stargate episode everything took place away from stargate command uh there was just a little bit of connection technology wise uh with the gate bridge um but you know watching the scientists be nerdy and then act like jerks didn't really do it for me I had some major beefs about this episode, too, and, and I took them to writer-director Martin Guerra, which probably was not the best thing to do to, to, to air them in, in the interview with him because he got defensive, and he absolutely should have. But, uh, yeah, I had, I had issues with this episode as well. Um, I, I liked a lot of the guest stars in it. Uh, Bill Nye, whom uh, we will be talking about soon enough, did a, did a bang-up job, and I thought there were some great lines in it, but it was way too disconnected from Atlantis for, for my cup of tea, too. Yeah. Now, actually, it was a, one of the reasons that a lot of people disliked this episode was exactly because of the McKay-Keller romance. It's here. It's, it's come into full bloom. They are a couple. They are on a big date. They are smooching. Um, I didn't mind that at all. I actually think that these two work really well together, and I've liked them ever since uh, The Last Man, when we saw their their alternate reality version, their alternate timeline version where they got together. Um, What do you think of of this storyline? This was sort of throughout the course of the season. We get little snippets of it in The Seed when Shepard mentions the the alternate timeline and, and hints at the fact that they were together. And then it comes up in the shrine where he tells he tells her that he loves her, and this is a running story through through season five. That's one of the things that surprised me about it in the last man. You know, the the time travel and the alternate reality, the future episodes, uh, they generally use them to show us things that we won't see. Uh, and this one, they stuck with McKay and Keller, and I was thankful for really any development for Keller on the romantic front. So. She, she could have hooked up with pretty much anyone, and I would have been happy because I felt that the, the character hasn't really been serviced all that well mm-hmm. at times. So I was uh, thankful that they went somewhere with her, and it was a chance for Rodney to grow up a little bit. So I really appreciated that. Exactly. It was great for Rodney. It, it caused him to grow up a little bit. And it was also really nice to see the writers decide to do a relationship between two main characters on the show just very overtly. 
That was, mm-hmm. you know, the Sam and Jack relationship in SG-1 was never all that overt, aside from a handful of episodes where it, it sort of bubbled to the surface in episodes like Divide and Conquer. But they did it here, and, and I think it worked. Yeah, and it, it isn't one of those where the season was allowed to go on for a couple of more years, and so they would have had some strife and perhaps uh, ended the relationship. Because the show is over now and because it's going to be going on in DVD movies, this relationship is probably not going to be front and center again, and it, so it's going to allow it to proverbially live happily ever after, mm-hmm. if they so wish it. Yeah, and I'm glad that Rodney gets a bit of a happy ending. Well, there are other new developments on Atlantis this year. We also have uh, the arrival of Richard Woolsey, the new commander of the base. We got Amanda for a year as Sam Carter, but how do you think Woolsey did at the end of the day? Amanda on Atlantis uh, never quite worked for me, to be perfectly honest with you. Hmm. I love Amanda Tapping. She knows that I love her, so I can say this, but it never quite worked for me. Woolsey, on the other hand... I have uh, not kept it quiet that Robert Picardo is my favorite actor. In fact, I could probably listen to him read a phone book, and I'd think that it was Shakespeare. Uh, So anything that he does, generally, I will enjoy. And I have enjoyed watching him on Atlantis this season. One of my bigger disappointments for the season was that we didn't get to see him in more. But uh, I was thankful for every bit that he was in. One of my favorite episodes this season is Ghost in the Machine. And that's what they were shooting when we were there, and, and... Woolsey has some really cool scenes where he's confronting the the disembodied replicator spirits in that have taken over Atlantis and are threatening to sink the city, and he calls their bluff. Um, that's the kind of gravitas that Robert Picardo brought to the show, and I thought it made the show very strong. Now, when I look back on Five Years of Atlantis, I loved Elizabeth Weir, and I loved what Tori brought to the show, so I really miss her. Um, I do too. And I miss her presence in episodes like Ghost in the Machine, you know, as fantastic as I think that Michelle Morgan was and as as Agreed. as much as I love having Picardo around uh for Woolsey. So, you know, when I look back on Atlantis, Atlantis is is I'm going to think of Weir, but Woolsey has come such a long way since he was first introduced in the 7th season of SG1. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's become, now that he's had a year as a regular, he's become even more fun to watch because he's not He's not just comic relief. He's somebody that we've gotten to know. I mean, through episodes like Remnants this year, where we saw more of his his personal life and his lack of, you know, lack of relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes, I loved the the comic moments of Woolsey, him being trapped behind the door in the Atlantis <laughs> meeting room. You know, yeah. the Atlantis transporter system sending him to a completely random rooftop in the city, and him having to walk back on foot. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Not knowing Chuck's name. Exactly. It's Chuck, sir. My name is Chuck. So I, I, can't, I can't agree more. I miss Elizabeth Weir uh, a great deal. But, uh, man, he banged up the room with his portrayal of Woolsey in season five. And he gets the last line of the show. Ooh, last line. Yes, him do. That's got to be worth something. Okay, the other, the other big development that I wanted to talk about we touched on briefly in the mid-season two-parter was the return of the Asgard. This was huge when the Asgard committed basically suicide for their entire race uh, in unending the last episode of Stargate SG-1, and we kind of all thought that they were gone for good. Mm-hmm. And then there's the big reveal, the the skinny little gray butt climbs out of the, the, the big warrior suit of armor. Yeah, you know, and, and they didn't cheat because it wasn't the Asgard that we were accustomed to. This was a different tribe who did not respond to the recall command that, uh, the, uh, that Thor's Asgard issued. 
when they decided to go kablooey. Right. Uh, but uh, that was a really delightful uh, surprise. Unfortunately, I heard about this one months ahead of time through yeah. various connections that I have. So, so I, I was well aware of this before we even went to Vancouver in April, but I was still happy that they were doing it. And that would have been stellar had I not seen that one coming. Yeah. I think it's it's a high point for the show. And if if yep. only I could put it out of my head that I that I saw it coming. Hopefully that episode is is going to really hold up uh, and that reveal mm-hmm. is going to really hold up. What disappoints me is that they didn't come back. You know, when when the rest of season 5 was planned out, the the writers were hoping for a season 6 and we know that they were planning an episode for the Asgard in season 6, but you know, I would like to see more arc stuff, more more story arcs in my Stargate. When we mm-hmm. just see Michael for one or two episodes a year, when we just see the Asgard for one appearance, and then they're going to come back for one episode the next year, you can't really develop those storylines very deeply. So mm-hmm. I really wish that that the Asgard would have returned and then would have been a major presence in the back half of the season. That is the biggest thing that I am hoping for in terms of the movies. You have you have characters like Todd who are serviced every few episodes. They did such a good job of making the Asgard just boom in the middle of the season. Let's bring them back for the movies. So let's okay. wrap up by talking about uh, our five favorite moments from the last year. We talked about our favorite episodes, but when when you think back on the fifth season of Stargate Atlantis... What are the moments that really shine for you? Number five for me, drinking beer on the pier from the shrine. That was a special McKay and Shepard scene. Felt the slightest bit awkward, but in the end, and I think it's going to hold up to to scrutiny over time, I think that's a great moment between two friends. I've said in the past, that's the moment where I really feel like Shepard and McKay are friends, that, Mm -hmm. that they've surpassed being just sort of team members who spend a lot of time together and sometimes like each other and sometimes give each other's nerves. Yes. They're friends in this scene for sure. You're a good friend, Arthur. That's right. (laughs) Number five for me is uh, Daniel and Rodney discovering Janice's lab in first contact. Ah, yes. The musical notes sequence. Yeah. One of my favorites. Rodney tells Daniel to to push on the wall as hard as he can and then he goes through and he taps three uh, light fixtures and Daniel falls through. This scene was just the perfect combination of Daniel's you know, archaeological brilliance and Rodney's technological brilliance, and it plays off with this this great comedic beat. I just love that scene. Those two work well together, and they've never had much to do with, with each other before, so whoever's idea it was to bring them back and, and try them together, really for the first time, was it was it was brilliant. Yeah. Number four for me, Replicator Weir gives up her life for Ghost in the Machine. Mm. I did not see that one coming that was a jaw dropper was it clear to you when you saw it that that she was doing that deliberately she wasn't being faked out by the team and sent through a space gate the look between her and Shepard told me everything that I needed to know that yes she is giving up her life they went in after her and mm-hmm. they were all gone at some point yeah we can go back and get her you know we we know that I'm kind of surprised that they didn't go go through the puddle jumper and get her back, because we we know that they can resuscitate them, but uh, it uh, it was a bold move and uh, a great a fitting way to end that episode. Yeah, and uh, I know the the fans of the weird character don't agree with this, and I'm a fan of the weird character, but I think it's a fitting end 
for that character because she has always been such a defender of Atlantis. You think mm-hmm. that episode's like Before I Sleep in season one. That whole thing that she goes through in putting herself in stasis and going 10,000 years, uh, basically giving her life, is to save her people and to save Atlantis, and that's exactly what she's doing here. And Ghost in the Machine is great because there's this tension with the character because Shepard and her friends are telling her, you're not Elizabeth Weir. You've got to mm-hmm. realize that Elizabeth Weir would not do this, would not put the city in danger like this. And mm-hmm. I think she realizes that at the end. That last look with Shepard, I think, really says, you know, he's realized at this point that she is Elizabeth Weir for all the the replicator nanites. Number four is uh, is going to be the big Asgard reveal from the Lost Tribe. We talked about it. We knew that it was coming from spoilers ahead of time, but the way they did it, you know, Daniel confronting the the big silent new enemy. And then the Asgard goes and steps over and, and opens up his, his encounter suit and steps out. I think it's as epic of a Stargate moment as Jack O'Neill stepping through the gate and meeting the Asgard in the fifth race. Yeah, but this has this has ten years of history stapled to it. So, you know, it's it's even more powerful. Mm-hmm. It really is one of those like big Stargate moments, like the gate coming out of the earth for uh the first time in, in and thousands of years in Giza, you know, that's that's a great moment for the show. Mm-hmm. And it says Atlantis is Stargate. You know, it really does say that it's it's not a little it's not a little brother. It, it's not a sibling. It's not the evil stepchild. It, it it is just as much Stargate as anything else. Yeah, and that's that's the great connection that I love about bringing back the Asgard and why I wish that they had been a bigger presence after they came back because it really does tie the show very very deeply into Stargate mythology. But you know the way they set it up with these guys being bad guys and being super highly advanced that we can't stop them from you know, invading Atlantis and taking whatever and whoever they want. Uh, and then mm-hmm. they turn out to be related to our greatest allies. Like it's it mm-hmm. a, a great way to introduce them. Number three. Amelia Banks kicks ass from the prodigal. I'm a big fan of, of the minor players getting some action, just, just tying that tapestry just a little bit tighter by showing that it's just it's not just the stars of the show that are there, it's also the minor characters as well. And when Amelia comes in to help Ronan when it reveals that she's a that she's a kickboxer, that was a great addition. That's a fun little moment. Yeah, and it didn't feel at all tacked on, you know? Like, like, oh, they pulled a fast one. We didn't know that much about this character. Now we know a little bit more. My number three, I already talked about it. It's that scene in the shrine with Jeannie and Rodney when she first goes in and, and tries to compose herself to go and talk to him. And, and you know, David plays these lines so great. You're my sister. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just heartbreaking. I, I love mm-hmm. the scene. That's And that's really the scene that, that I still, after having seen the episode a half a dozen times, I, I don't think I can make it through that scene without getting misty a little try. Yeah, I'm a big wuss. Um, <laughs> a close second, though, is one of my favorite Keller moments in this episode. I had to cut some from my top five list, but another moment from the shrine that I love was Keller's line, Ronan, we're going to need that gun of yours in about ten seconds. Yes, that is good. I completely agree. Number two for me is Atlantis and San Francisco Bay. What a great visual and a great way to end Enemy at the Gate. Did not see that one coming. It was completely spectacular. 
they they everything from the car like I said before the cars driving across the uh, the Golden Gate Bridge everything about that was completely cool. I'd like to read a comment that Mark Savella sent me personally uh, regarding uh, the visual effect. He is Atlantis's visual effects supervisor. Mark said, "Hi David, just heard the podcast. Wanted to answer the question that a few of you had. Atlantis landed on the ocean side of the Golden Gate Bridge, looking towards San Francisco and Alcatraz, which is in the bay on the other side of the bridge. You mm-hmm. can actually see it. It is pretty small. We had a hard time ourselves because both views are very similar, and the most filmed part of the bridge is looking out towards the ocean. But in our shot, you can see the houses and structures, etc., that exist looking from the ocean. I hope that makes sense. Best, Mark." Mm. So thanks to Mark Savella for writing in and clarifying that for us. I think we actually have a piece of listener mail that also uh, yeah. uh, brings this up. Let me read the Wildstar 073 really quick. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there is no way the city could land within the bay and not be noticed. I'm not even sure it would fit at all inside the bay entrance near Alcatraz Island. However, from the shot of the Golden Gate Bridge, we see an enemy at the gate. You can tell the city is on the Pacific Ocean side of the bridge and not inside the bay proper. I suppose with a naval quarantine, the city cloaked and an extremely soft landing, generating minimal waves, it would be possible for it to touch down unnoticed there between the bay and the Farallon Islands, though it is still extremely implausible as this is a major shipping lane and pleasure cruising area. That being said, mm-hmm. Wildstar says, I suspend my disbelief while watching and thoroughly enjoyed the final episode. As David said, it will never satisfy in every detail but I thought a fitting end of the series, and I can't wait for the movie. And you know what's interesting about this? It's, it's a very fitting end that uh, they picked the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco because Golden Gate was built at the Bridge Studios. Mm. That is one of those uh, semi-known facts. A lot of bridges were built at Bridge Studios. That's why it's called the Bridge Studios. And Golden Gate was partially assembled there and then shipped down to San Francisco. That's cool. That's apropos. My number two is is actually where we overlap. This is the same as your number four. It's Weir and the Replicators floating in space. Very cool. And so my number one. Number one. Taylor ends Michael's life. Mm. Um, that was a great, surprising moment of television. Uh, it's one of the things that I loved about that episode was, yes, we killed him. We think. Or so we think. And Shepard stood back and let her do it, you know? Uh, he poo-pooed in his nest with her. He tried to abduct her child, and he tried to hurt them both. So absolutely, no more sympathy. Kick him off that pier. Kick him over the edge. We saw him flutter, flutter, flutter all the way down, and then probably, so. probably dead. Very, oh, yeah. absolutely, definitely, one hundred percent, probably dead. Number one, the alternate shepherd's death. At the end of Vegas. Really? The Wraiths project has just been blown up. Uh, McKay explains to Woolsey that Shepard basically saved their bacon. We see Shepard trying to pick himself up out of the dirt, uh, trying to survive, trying to fight, and then just falling back into the ground. And rolling over onto his back as, as... Johnny Cash's great song, Solitary Man, plays. The camera pulls away, and you get this great little wince that Joe Flanagan does. I think it's a, it's a great death. And even though it's an alternate universe, it's, it's a fantastic moment for Atlantis. I would not have seen that being your first one. You surprised me. A rare and special gift, thank you. 
Oh, good. Stargate Atlantis Season 5, especially compared to previous years of the show. Is this somewhere in the middle? Is this the best season ever? It wasn't the best season for me, but it was a very good year, and I'm happy to have gone on that journey. You? I'm trying to think back over five seasons of Atlantis and, and decide when I really think the show peaked. And it's not one of those shows that I think really got better and better and then peaked and then got worse and worse. I think it was sort of slowly and steadily building over time. I liked mm. season three a lot. The back half, maybe not so much, but season three overall is one of my favorites. Season four, when they started doing arc stuff with the Wraith Replicator War, I liked that mm. stuff a lot. Mm. Obviously, Beyond My Sins Remembered is one of the high points of the show. Um, I think season five builds on that even a little bit more, and I think that when I look back on it, season five is going to be my favorite. Very good. Listener mail. Well, you've heard our favorite uh, moments and favorite episodes, so we want to hear from you. What are your favorite moments? David, who's our first? We already talked with Wildstar073, so we're going to move on to Jedi Master Braytac. My favorite this season has to be Vegas. The alternate reality proved a fresh look for both the Wraith and Shepard and made a very entertaining story. Robert C. Cooper still has it. My least favorite is Whispers. Not only is it my least favorite episode for season five, but it is my least favorite episode out of 15 years of the Stargate franchise. The biggest issue I had with the episode, but by no means only, was the character of Dusty. She was one-dimensional, cliched, and just plain annoying. Wow, hmm. Dusty! Uh, I cannot. I, I I can't see what he's meaning about her being the most annoying element out of fifteen seasons of Stargate. Lithus Rose writes: least favorite episode, Brainstorm, due to the fact that I do not like McKellar's ship. It has made much of season five less likable to me, and this episode is the epitome of that. Most favorite was Vegas. In fact, I think it's the best episode of the entire franchise. I loved the glimpses into Shepard's character, and Shep is the main reason I watched Atlantis in the first place. I cried after it was over, which I don't think I've ever done for a Stargate episode before. I'd be cautious about calling it the uh, the most favorite episode of the franchise. Maybe maybe Lithus Rhodes needs to go watch CSI. Because <laughs> it's very un-Stargate. <laughs> There's lots of Vegas love, though. Teacher Gal says, my favorite episode of the season and of the series was definitely The Shrine. It was a great character episode that involved everyone and centered on McKay, my favorite character. Least favorite was Identity. It was a poorly done episode that totally ignored any type of continuity, and Whispers was a close second. We also have lots and lots of voicemail on this topic and a few others, so let's listen to those. This is Joel from Houston, and I just had to call in to this week's listener question about favorite and least favorite episodes from season five Atlantis. As for my favorite episodes out of what was a great season, the two that stand out and are probably two of my top ten episodes for the show are the exceptionally interesting, unique, and well done Vegas, and more importantly, what I would consider my favorite episode of Atlantis period, The Shrine, which delivered a great dramatic hour of television that really delivered character moments and drama that has been so rare on Atlantis and has been so frequent on SG-1. Now, as far as least favorite episode, there was a lot of mediocre episodes this season, or I should say a handful, but not really any bad ones. Instead, I'll list the most disappointing episode, which is 
the series finale, Enemy at the Gate. My problem with the episode was by compressing what should have been a two, if not three-part episode, into one episode, nothing had any time to have any impact. There was little to no character moments in the episode, and the big moments that I mentioned before were never given any time to resonate because they so quickly moved on to the next thing. Hi, this is Alan. I'm calling from the UK. I think the worst episode for me was Mithing. This is when Dr. Keller was still in the whiny phase. Um, I'm a big Dr. Keller and a dual state fan, and I think her character had progressed beyond that uh, episode. I think the best episode was First Contact on season five, made an explosive entry. Uh, was on par with one of the best first parts that I've ever seen. The second part was a little bit more of a letdown, but it was quite explosive. And I think my best and worst episode for myself and my partner, I love Vegas because I used to watch CSI. She absolutely hated it because she had no idea what CSI was. G'day from Marcus in Melbourne, Australia, calling with a general review on the podcast. Great job, Darren and David. I just spent the summer holidays listening to all of them back to back. Uh, I really enjoyed the Australian presence on Atlantis with Remnants uh, 515. Not sure if the Vanessa Conrad character actress uh, Anna Galvin is Australian. There's some conjecture on the website. But uh, would have loved a semi-permanent Australian character on the show. Hey, maybe we will see another Farscape actor play an Australian character on SGU. Um, I'm quite excited to see SGU. I think Robert Carlyle is a great casting choice. 28 weeks later was a great piece for him recently, as was Trainspotting in the past. Hey guys, this is Tim from Decatur, Illinois. I uh, just wanted to give my interpretation of the last episode of Atlantis. Uh, it was very nice to see Atlantis come full circle and come back to Earth. Uh, I also thought that the uh, little twist with Ronan's character was nice, but an hour episode seemed a little short. Everything kind of seemed a little hurried up, but uh, uh, overall I'd give it probably an 8 out of 10. Hi, this is Chris Fayard from Roseville, California. I want to thank you guys for doing a great podcast. I really enjoy your insights on the episodes. I want to respond to the listener question regarding the casting of Robert Carlyle as the lead in Stargate Universe. I really think that's a great choice, and I look forward even more to the premiere of the show, knowing that he's a part of it. Thanks for all the men calling in. Have we, have we just lost our female call-ins? I mean, it's it's great that we have some some masculine in the audience, but I, I'm missing the ladies too. Ladies, call in now and give David some love. Call in. Come on. Well, I mean, you go to the conventions, and 95% of it is women, so that's what I expected. Uh, and I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm completely delighted that the masculine sex is calling in. I just hope at some point we'll really be able to strike a balance. Yep, I'm glad the guys are, are listening and are still enjoying Stargate. What I also love is that we're getting a lot of people from a lot of different countries now. We've had people calling from Scotland and Australia and Canada and all sorts of different countries. Thanks, guys. Well, here's this week's listener question. We're going to continue talking about Atlantis next week in our big Atlantis Deconstructed podcast. So, here's the question. If you could travel back in time five years and offer one piece of constructive advice to the writers of Stargate Atlantis, what would you say? We'll play and read the most insightful answers, and of course, please keep it tactful. Yes, not tactful is not constructive. So, David and I will be joined next week by GateWorld Forum's Tammy Farrar to deconstruct five years of Atlantis. 
Tammy is not known for holding back, so next week is going to be a very interesting, uh, probably very direct. The fur may fly a little bit. I think uh, episode 27 is really going to be intense. And then on February 3rd, it's our big open forum show. We want to hear what you guys want us to talk about, so call in, ask questions, give us a topic, uh, a challenging trivia question that we have to go look up. Uh, Anything you want us to talk about, we'll talk about it on February 3rd. So get your questions in now. And then in our February 10th show, we'll go all the way back to 1994 and talk about Stargate, the movie. Thanks for joining us once again for this week's podcast. If you want to call in and answer this week's listener question or talk about anything else Stargate-related, the GateWorld podcast hotline is area code 616-712-1647, or you can post over at GateWorld Forum on the podcast feedback thread. In this episode, we talked about the highs and lows of Season 5 of Stargate Atlantis and gave you a preview of our new interview with Connor Trenier. Look for that on the site later this week. For links to everything we talked about today, head to GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 26 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And this is David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.